Galatians chapter 3, verse 9 says this. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Today I want to talk to you about the blessing. The blessing. Now, a little background. Paul wrote the book of Galatians to refute the heresy of Judaizers. These were men who were teaching that unless we keep the law, we cannot be saved. And so Paul argued that if we're saved by obeying the law, then Christ died for no reason, for nothing. In fact, later in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4, he says, if you're trying to be saved by keeping the law, you are severed, cut off from Christ. And then later in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 11, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament, from the prophet Habakkuk, where it says, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous, the just shall live by faith. But he, Paul points out, but keeping the law has nothing to do with faith. For the law is not a promise to believed, to be believed. It's simply a command to be obeyed. And then in Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul makes a, a, a rather strange statement. It's an astounding statement. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. The law codified God's standard of righteousness. The law clearly defined sin. And so by breaking the law, Paul says, I became a sinner. And my inward nature died to God. And I found myself then unable to please God in any way. And in verse 24, he says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. The King James Version says, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So the law showed me my need for a savior, but the law itself could not save me. The law was like a mirror reflecting back to me my true spiritual condition, but the law was powerless to cleanse my heart. The law convicted me, but it could not change me. And the purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ. It taught us that we needed a Savior. But verse 25 says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And what he really means is, now that Christ has come, we no longer 
need the law. That doesn't mean that we are lawless. We live by a higher law, the law of love in Christ Jesus. And then back to verse 10, Galatians 3 verse 10, Paul reminds us something the law says. Everyone who does not obey everything in the law is under a curse. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 27 and 26. So if you're trying to come under the law, you are now obligated to keep every command. And if you miss it, even in one point, if you break one rule according to the law, now you are cursed. You understand? So, my point is this. It's not enough to come to God. You must come the right way. Not the way you prefer. The way that God has designated. Coming to God, when I say come to God, I not only mean coming to him for salvation, but every time you approach him, every time you appeal to him, every time you pray to him, coming to God the wrong way is just as bad as not coming at all. And there are primarily, basically, only two ways, two methods which people employ or use or we could say two opposing systems, grace or works, you see. If we approach God on the basis of merit, that's what I mean by works. If we approach God, if we come to God, we pray to God, we, 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 we endeavor to worship God on the basis of our own merits, then we will find the door is closed. But if we draw near to him by grace, then we will find acceptance and blessings. You see, relying on works is having faith in yourself. It's trusting in your own goodness. I'm good enough for God. I've done this. I've done that. I have never done this. But relying on grace is having faith in Christ. It is trusting in the undeserved kindness of God. When we stand by works, we're saying to God, judge me according to what I have done. But when we come by grace, we are saying, judge me by what Christ has done for me. Hallelujah. Amen. One way is certain failure. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The other way is certain success. Because Christ himself is the guarantor of a better covenant. In other words, because I'm coming 
to God on the basis of what Christ has done for me, I can't fail because Christ would have to fail before I could fail. Are you out there today? Amen. If we can be right with God by our own efforts, then we have something to boast about. We can take credit for it. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Because every blessing you have, every benefit you have, was given to you by God. It is not something that you accomplished. It's something that was accomplished for you. In a sense, we could argue, we do come to God by works. But not our works, the work of Christ. Are you here today? No, not really. I said, are you here today? Hallelujah. There are only two avenues. One leads to failure. The other leads to faith. And if the enemy, I'm talking to Christians now, if the enemy can push you into the arena of works by tempting you to think that somehow you can earn what is not for sale, then the, the enemy will disqualify you from receiving God's blessings because you'll never measure up in yourself. But if you will stay in the arena of faith, you will experience God's overflowing grace. Two systems. One results in guilt. The other, in gratitude. One produces a never-ending self-examination. Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I given enough? Have I helped enough people? The other continually examines the finished work of Christ. We do good works. But we don't do good works to receive God's favor. We receive his favor, and that's why we do the good works. Amen. Hallelujah. One brings a sense of unworthiness. The other, a spirit of worship. In heaven, the saints above, they don't talk about their failings and shortcomings. For that is not praise. They don't sing in heaven, I'm so unworthy. Rather they sing, worthy is the lamb. Worship is not focused on yourself, it's focused on the Savior. Are you out there today? Amen. When you're trusting in yourself, that's called self-righteousness. And you should know that God disdains self-righteousness more than 
unrighteousness. Hmm? But when you trust in Jesus, you become the righteousness of God in him. So one system gives birth to nothing but a dead religion. And that's where many people in the church world are today. They just don't know it. Sure, they, they go to church. They sing songs. Uh, they give offerings. They're involved in different things. But it's all based on self-merit. What I can do or what I should do or what I have done. The other gives birth to a living relationship. It's not about me. It's about him. Are you out there today? So again, we read our text, Galatians chapter 3, verse 9. Those who are of faith are blessed. Not those who are of good works, those who come on the basis of merit. Those who are of faith are blessed. So that's who we are. We are of faith. We are the people of faith, like Abraham, the man of faith. And if we believe as Abraham believed, we will be blessed like Abraham was blessed. Are listening to me? So what he's telling us is Abraham's experience with God set a spiritual precedent. Do you know what I mean by that? What happened to him established the template for everyone after him to follow. That's why he's not just the father of the Jewish nation. Paul says he's the father of all who believe. Hmm? And his blessing is the pattern for every believer. Hallelujah. So, those who are of faith are blessed. But what does it mean to be blessed? We use the word bless all the time. It's a part of the Christian vocabulary. And we... we, we we, we use the word rather freely and, and casually without a lot of thought. God bless you. Yeah, I was so blessed this morning. Hey, that song was a blessing. Hey, dinner was really a blessing. You're a blessing. Bless, 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 bless. But what are we talking about? I venture to wager that most of the time you have no idea what you're saying. And I'll take it one step further. The angels in heaven and the demons in hell also know you don't know what you're talking about. It's not enough just to say scriptural things. You have to know what they mean. That's why we're here. Amen? In other words, you say you want God to bless you. And yet when we ask you, what does that mean? You go, uh, you don't even know what that means. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, 
be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. This is actually the second time the word blessed is used in the Bible. The first time was in verse 22, very similarly when God blessed every living creature. But in this verse, the Lord pronounced a blessing on Adam and Eve. He did not merely wish them well. He wasn't saying, best of luck to you. I hope for the best. Hope it all turns out well for you. His words released power and enabled them to prosper. Note carefully, you have to understand something. He did not bless them and then speak to them. He blessed them by speaking to them. Because God's words do more than communicate thoughts. They unleash power, creative power. The Bible says in Psalm 33, verse 9, For he spoke, and it came to be. God never engages in chit-chat. Just small talk. God does, Jesus never had small talk. How you doing? I'm doing good. What you have for Did you have your dinner yet? He never did that. His words were full of life changing power. He said what he meant. He meant what he said. And when he spoke, it released the power of God. Hmm? So when God said to them, Adam and Eve, have dominion, that's not just a command, something that they should do. He was giving them authority to rule by his words. That's what it means when it says he blessed them. Woo! Woo! So it's not a handshake and a pat on the back. God bless you, Adam. God bless you, Sister Eve. He was releasing creative energy into their lives. And I love this. Like I said, this is the, this is the second time the word blessed is used. And the first time is very similar. He said, be fruitful and multiply. The blessing of God is a multiplier. It brings increase. It expands you. It enlarges you. See, I'm very blessed. Hallelujah. When I first began preaching, I wasn't as blessed as I am now. Hallelujah. Amen. And, and the blessing of God is always something good. And it produces something good. See, if it produced something bad, that would not be a blessing. That would be a curse. Right? Hmm. Now, however, notice this. Think about it. Dig, it. dig a little deeper. The blessing is not inevitable. Like it has to happen, and that's just the way it is. The blessing is not fulfilled apart from our participation. You have something to do with it. See, when God spoke to Adam and Eve, the world was not instantly populated. 
be fruitful, multiply, and kaboom, suddenly there was eight billion people. They brought children into the world the normal way, the natural way, like these fine folks here did, like, like you did, the natural way. But God blessed their endeavors and caused it to succeed and abound. Are you listening to me? So the blessing of God in your life is an enabler. It's an enabler. It comes beside you. It works with you. It helps you to do what you could never do alone. In Deuteronomy 15, 8, 18 rather, it says, So the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. See, the reason some people are not blessed is they don't do anything. He didn't say in all that you sit or in all that you think, but in all that you do. The blessing is not God working without you. It's God working with you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In Genesis 39 and 23, it describes the blessing effect. This is what it looks like. The blessing effect in the life of Joseph. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So what does that mean? Well, you can labor without the blessing and accomplish precious little. But a little that is blessed by God can do abundantly more than all your best intentions and effort and energy and resources. Hallelujah. So the blessing is not a nice sentiment. It's not a greeting card from Hallmark. Hope you're feeling better. May, may blue skies come back. It is, the blessing is a heavenly proclamation. It is a royal decree from the kingdom of God. Think about this. You know your Bible well enough that when Isaac was about 137 years old and nearly blind, basically he's on his deathbed, he decided to bless his firstborn son, Esau. Right? You know the story. And so he told Esau, I I'd like to eat some wild game before I bless you. Go hunting and bring me that meal that, that I love so much. And after I've eaten, then I will bless you. And so Esau went out. But they had kind of a dysfunctional family. A and they had a lot of favoritism under the roof and that created problems for even future generations. And, and, and Isaac's wife, Rebecca, heard the conversation, overheard it, and she said to Jacob, whom she loved more than her other son, she said, you know, I'll fix the meal. You put on your brother's clothes and pretend to be him. And so Isaac 
fell for the ruse. The ruse. He was, he was deceived, and though he hesitated, he, he blessed Jacob in return. Isaac was the only person in the Bible who walked by feelings. He said, it feels like Esau, and he was wrong. See? <laughs> and then no sooner had Jacob left the room than Esau came in. And when he found out what had happened, he wept like a baby. I mean, here's this alpha male, outdoorsman, hunter, warrior. He's crying like one of the covenant kids who didn't get a biscuit. And not only that, his, his, his sadness turned to rage. He plotted to kill Jacob. Here's my question. Why? What's the big deal? So what? This old guy says a few words over you, and for that, you have to masquerade as someone else, even put on fake hair on your arms. And then because of that, you're plotting to murder someone? Why? It's not a meaningless ritual. It's not a trivial matter. It's the blessing of God. And think about it. Even Esau, who was a profane person, he really had no respect for spiritual things. Even he recognized the power of the blessing. Because even after Jacob stole it, he said, but Father, bless me too. You must have a blessing for me too. And Jacob is not commended for deceiving his father and, and stealing from his brother. And by the way, he met his match in Laban. What goes around comes around. So it'll come back to you in spades. He stole the blessing. His future father-in-law said, I got a special trick up my sleeve for you. Wait till you get here. <laughs> but one thing you can say in Jacob's favor, he esteemed the blessing so much he would do anything to get it. He was a highly motivated person. He used unethical means, which is not right, but at least you can see something about his desires. Later in life, and that stayed with him, because later in life we read he out-wrestled an angel and said to the angel, I won't let you go until you bless me. These guys, they understand the power of the blessing. It's not just a high five in the hallway. It's not just a nod and a shake of the hand. They understood the power of the blessing. Are you out there today? Amen. I think many believers today lack that Jacob tenacity. I won't let you go until you bless me. I'm going to get it. I'm not leaving here until I get what I came for.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. So I think we can all appreciate the pronouncements of the patriarchs, how strong that is. But surely our words don't carry that kind of weight, do they? Notice a scripture in the New Testament. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only, only talk, only words, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So, okay, this verse tells us, believers, we who are of faith, to be careful what you say. In fact, the Greek literally says, because the New Testament was written originally in Greek, the Greek literally says, do not allow a rotten word to escape from your mouth or to go forth from your mouth. Rotten. We could preach another sermon here right now, offering part two. Here we go. Think of the word rotten. You think of something that's putrid, something eaten with worms, something that has a foul stench, rotten. You know, uh, years ago, uh, when I, was, I wasn't married in those days, but years ago, I, I came to my uh, flat, my apartment, and when I walked in the door, I was met with this terrible smell. Woo, what is that? It smells like something died, you know? And, and, and I followed my nose. God gave me a very sensitive nose. It's amazing. I can even smell somebody's cologne, like, you know, 10 feet away, and I remember who that person is by this, their smell. I don't know why he sent me to Nagaland, I, but anyways, I... And so I followed my nose like a bloodhound. And it tra I tracked down in the refrigerator some spoiled meat. It was all green and fuzzy. Here's my point. The very atmosphere was changed because of something rotten. Now, I had been to some people's homes, and it's like spiritually it smells like ochane. Who died? No, that's dinner. Oh, praise God. Spiritually, words have been, rotten words have been spoken, and it's polluting the atmosphere of your home. And people who are spiritually keen, they, they can pick up on that. Some, there's some bad words being spoken here. And I don't just mean profanity, yeah, of course, but, but words of hatred and anger and, and venom and things like that, you know? Hallelujah. Amen. But on the other hand, our words should build others up. It should strengthen them. And the New King James Version says our words, that it may impart grace to the hearers. That doesn't just mean they'll be encouraged, they'll be, they'll, 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 they'll be you know, maybe happy. Okay, sure, but I think it means more than that. It gives them something. It releases the ability of God into their life. In other words, what this verse is saying is, don't curse others, 
bless them. And believe that when you speak, just like when God spoke to Adam and Eve, it's releasing the ability of God into their lives. Maybe after the service, when you shake someone's hand and say, God bless you, look them right in the eyeball. God bless you. Amen. Uh, Think about this. We're talking about the blessing. In Mark chapter 10, verse 16, the Bible says that, that, that parents, kind of like this morning again, they brought little children to Jesus, that he would bless them. And he took them in his arms, the Bible says, and blessed them. And the Greek word for blessed in this verse is the word eulogeo. Eulogeo. Mm. And it's where we get the English word eulogy. Eulogy. What's a eulogy? Well, well, in Greek it means to speak a good word. But typically in English, a eulogy is something we say, good words we say about someone who has died. That's usually how it is. At the funeral, Brother Zama Zama delivered the eulogy. Pastor, Pastor Soso delivered the eulogy. Well, he, he's not saying what a bad person is. He's trying to say what a good person he is. The difference is this. We give our eulogies after the person has died, and that can't help him. Christ gave the eulogy while they were even little children. He spoke a good word over them. So think about this. Instead of spending a small fortune building some large monument to your late husband, why not build him up with your good words before he dies? Because he's not going to see your monument. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't wait until you're on your deathbed with cataracts before you start blessing your children. Bless them now. I dare say every time you get frustrated and you're ready just just to really smack that kid, he needs a blessing, doesn't he? Sometimes when they really irritate you, and it happens, right? That's when you need to lay your hands on them and say, you're blessed. God is with you. His strength is in you. The character of Christ is working in you. You're not going to go down. You're coming up. And you may be crying when you say it. And you may be thinking, I'm not sure I even really believe this. But speak a good word over your kids. Notice when they brought little children to Jesus, he didn't say, oh, this guy's a rascal. No, no, no. No, He blessed them. Because it's not based on what they have done or could do. So we see from the story of Esau and Jacob that the blessing can be passed on from one generation to another. The blessing can be inherited. The Bible says in Genesis 25 verse 11, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. What does that mean? The blessing was transferred. 
to the child of promise. It was transferred to him. Just as I worked to empower Abraham, your father, to prosper, now I'm working to prosper you. Hallelujah. That same blessing then passed on to Jacob and his sons. Now, how were these men of old blessed? Well, they were not only blessed spiritually, but they were blessed financially. There's no denying that. I said there's no denying that. Anyone who even casually reads the Bible couldn't help but notice this. For example, we won't take a lot of time on this, but in Genesis 26, verse 13 and 14, it talks about Isaac, the one who had Abraham's blessing on his life. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. When you're blessed the way God wants you to be blessed, sinners will envy you. They'll say, I wish I was him. Usually people in the world, if they have sort of a, a general fear of God, they might admire you. Hey, you go to church, good for you. Say a prayer for me too. Yeah, my, my, my grandmother was a, a churchgoer, so more power to you. They might admire you, but they don't emulate you. Otherwise, they'd be here today. In fact, truth be told, they feel a little sorry for you. Here you are wasting your time when you could be out there having fun. They don't get it. They're like Esau. They don't understand the power of the blessing. When the blessing of God is working in your life, even people who don't know God can see it. You cannot hide the blessing effect in your life. It will come out. It will be manifested. It will be revealed. It will produce fruit in your life. Hallelujah. And whenever we talk about the blessing, particularly concerning finances, there's always somebody, I don't know where they are today, but there's always somebody who will pipe up and say, that's not for us. That's just for the Jews. That's, that's, like, that's like somebody's favorite saying. That and the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The other one is, that's not for us. That's just for the Jews. Think about that statement for a second. That blessing's just for the Jews. Jew is an abbreviated form of the word Judah. Judah is only one tribe in Israel. The blessing did not belong solely to that tribe. It belonged to all 12 tribes. Where did they get it? They got it from their father, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Where did Jacob get it? We read it. He got it from his father, Isaac. Where did Isaac get it? He got it from his father, Abraham. Where did Abraham get it? He got it from God. And Paul says, and if you believe like Abraham believed, you are blessed with Abraham's blessing. It's not the Jews' blessing. It's Abraham's blessing. And we are children of Abraham in Christ. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Certainly, certainly the blessing is not limited to finances. I know that. And we shouldn't become so money-minded that that's all we think about. We're not telling you to chase after the money. We're telling you to, to believe the covenant and let the money chase after you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But on the other hand, it's not a sin to be poor, but it's certainly not a blessing. If you think poverty is a blessing, you haven't been poor yet. It's not. Well, I thank God that I'm poor. You've seen too many Hindi films. <laughs> and you have a very narrow scope of vision. Because poor people can barely help themselves, much less help someone else. You can have a simple lifestyle, and maybe that's, that is a good choice, but let God's abundance work in your life so that you can be a conduit, a blessing to many, not only your family and friends and colleagues and, and the world around you, and, and of course the body of Christ. Some pastors, you know, they kind of preach poverty. And then at night they cry saying, God, pay my bills. I don't believe that. I be if, God, if God is so in love with poverty, why did he make Isaac very rich? He must have made a mistake. No, he didn't. Are you out there today? Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. All right, one more point. One more point, and then I'll let you go. But this is, this is super important. Very important point. Listen very carefully. All right, those who are of faith are blessed. That's us. But if we are people of faith, listen carefully. If we are people of faith, that does not mean we simply believe one or two scriptures. It means we live by faith. Abraham did not simply have faith one afternoon. It was a journey of faith that began the very moment God called him. In fact, the Bible says he died in faith. Are you out there today? Now, listen. Faith, and I mean, I don't mean faith in someone else. I mean faith in Christ. Faith makes us righteous in the sight of God. Gives us right standing with the Father. It reconciles us to him. He sees us guiltless because we're washed clean. Faith in Christ made us righteous. And faith will cause us to live righteously. I never really thought much about that till last night. It just suddenly hit me. Faith makes us righteous. But faith also causes us to live righteously. The root of every sin is a lack of faith. The sin did not begin when Eve took the fruit and bit into it. The sin began when she listened to the lie of the devil 
when he questioned God's goodness. God knows that when you eat this, you become like him. She believed the lie before she acted in disobedience. The root of all sin is unbelief. So maybe, maybe you're uh, invited to partner in some particular business endeavor, but it's a shady business. Questionable means, unethical, unethical methods. And you're tempted. Well, you know, we can make a lot of money here, but we have to bribe, we have to lie, we have to, you know, f- we misrepresent ourselves, etc. Because I believe that my God will supply all my needs. I don't have to be involved in these type of things. Hmm? Someone tells a lie on you, and you're tempted to strike back. But I trust God. He's my protector. I'm not the judge. He is. I don't repay evil with evil. When others curse me, I bless them so that I may inherit a blessing. And God takes care of me. Hmm? Amen? You're disappointed. There's a setback. The deal didn't go through. Some people that you were counting on failed you. And in that moment of discouragement, you're tempted to drink, right? You're tempted to reach for that bottle or or that pill. But I trust God, the great comforter, the Holy Spirit, he can heal my heart. He can reassure me and strengthen me. He can lift me out of a miry place and set my feet on a rock. I'll trust him that maybe this setback is actually a stepping stone to something better. That when one door shuts, God will open a better door for me. Hallelujah. So that means every temptation is a perverted promise. Every temptation is a perverted promise. It's a promise from the enemy. You think you will get what you want only quicker and easier, but it's not God's way. You see, but if you trust in the Lord, know know this, he made you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your desires. He knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what your aspirations are, your hopes are. And there's a godly way for him to bring your dream to pass. See, sometimes we say we're trusting in people, but honestly, we're trusting in men. And when you get your eyes on people, I promise you, God will kick the props out from underneath you and they will disappoint you. Because no man can take God's place in your life. When you trust in him with patience, 
And that's not my favorite word. How about you? But you trust him with patience. He can satisfy, he satisfies the longing soul. He he can fulfill you. He can bring joy to you. He can bring satisfaction to you, but it'll be his way. It'll be a good way. It'll be a it'll be it'll it'll be a, a good testimony to others. It won't be something that you have to hide or something that you don't want others to know about. Are listening to me? If we will walk by faith, we will live righteously. So next time I teach on faith, don't roll your eyes and think, oh, it's just health and wealth. We don't just use faith to get what we want. We use faith to live the way we should. Anybody here today? One more point, one more point, very quickly. So then we see someone in the church world, I'm talking about believers, who's struggling, who's struggling. We see someone who's living carnally, and we think they're not blessed because they're not living right. But actually, they're not blessed because they're not living by faith. That's what God showed me last night. We see someone who's living carnally. I'm talking about a believer. Not, I'm talking about sinners now. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're on the bottle. They're, 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 they're not living the way they should. They're living immorally. And we say, see, that person's not blessed because they're not living right. But actually, they're not blessed because they're not living by faith. And if they lived by faith, they would live right. But... When someone has fallen or when someone is is struggling, often the first reaction of the church is, guess what? Put them back under the law. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It convicts them of wrongdoing. It makes them aware of their misstep. But it does not empower them to overcome sin. Are you listening to me? It isn't sheer willpower and dogged determination. It's trusting God even more. That's it. It's trusting him even more. If I may be a little blunt, your sin is not really so much the bottle. It's unbelief. Your sin is not so much the dirty deal. It's unbelief. It's just manifested that way. We'll trust him even more. And those who are of faith, they're blessed like Abraham.